Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, we thank you for your grace, the grace that you pour out upon each and every one of us. We thank you that as we continue to learn and understand how your grace impacts our lives, that it encourages us to share that love and grace with others. So God, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, over the past several weeks, we have been looking at grace. And the series is called All Grace is Amazing because when we take a look at grace, we see that there are many different facets of grace. Sometimes we we understand what those facets are and how they interact with our lives, and sometimes we we just haven't had the opportunity to learn what those are. So I wanted to make sure as we continue to grow in our discipleship and as we continue to grow in the way that God loves us and cares for us, that we start to understand that, and we start to understand how that takes a part and affects our lives individually. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about convicting grace, and I I gave you a picture to look at about the way John Wesley looked at grace. I have another picture here of a porch, and uh, the porch, there it is. It's it's different than the one that I uh, had originally, but it still kind of gets the same uh, picture or point across, that that this is how John Wesley would take a look at, at what grace is in our lives. He, he talked about prevenient grace, which is that grace that comes to us before we know who God even is. And that's like walking up to the house, seeing the, the, this beautiful structure in front of us and, and wanting to get closer to try to understand exactly what is going on in that house. Then when we take a step onto the porch area, John Wesley would call that convicting grace. And what, that, what he means by that is that you, know, you, you want to start to make that move towards the inside of the house, but you don't really know exactly how to do that. Convicting grace reminds us that we are in need of repentance, that, that, that we need to have something change in our lives to, to turn from the life that we once were living into a life full of God's love and grace and mercy. So we, we step onto that porch saying, God, I know that there is something that I'm missing and, and I want to receive that. I want to have that be active and a part of my life. Last week we talked about justifying grace and to put simply justifying grace is the door. And that is the point where serious transformation begins. But it's only the beginning. It's only the the start of of, of our life and our journey in grace with the God who loves us and cares for us. When, When we move through that door, we enter a life full of sanctifying grace, which means we desire to have our lives fully transformed to live in the love and grace 
that Jesus has for us. I, I love thinking of, tra- uh, of sanctifying grace as, as being transformed. We long to be transformed in our lives. I don't, I don't care who you are or, or, or what you may have gone through in your life. You always want to seek transformation. You want to seek transformation to receive something different in your life. And, and, but we don't really quite understand exactly how that transformation takes place. But here's the good news. We're not the only ones who desires for us to be transformed. God desires for each and every one of us to be transformed. James Bryant Smith in his book, Good and Beautiful God, he wrote this. He said, God not only wants us to be reconciled, he wants to transform us. He not only took away the guilt of sin, but also the power of sin. Those who are Christ followers not only receive the merit of his work on the cross, but actually participate by faith in the crucifixion. That is such an important thing to remember. God God just doesn't want us to be, be reconciled with him. God desires us to be fully transformed. And he does this by, by taking away the, away the power of sin. He, he does this by, by making us a new creation where Christ now dwells inside of us and changes us and makes us into new creations. Our scripture for this morning helps give us a picture of what sanctifying grace is about. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, or we'll have the words printed on the screen where you can follow along. Paul was writing to the Galatians, and thus he is writing to us as he writes, For though the law I died to, the law is so I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul is concerned about the law the law that the Jewish people lived under. And, and it was something that his early church people were, were struggling between. How, how do we strike this balance between living in the law and living in the grace of Jesus Christ? And, and Paul reminds us is that it is not up to us. It, it is not the power that we haven't able to do that, but... Because Christ died and reconciled himself to us, we then, God's people, or the children of God, can then live a life full of transformation, a a life that is filled by the faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself up for each and every one of us. And our response to that love is that we now live lives set apart. Set apart for for the work that God has for us to to share and to invite others to live in a life that is filled with God's love 
and grace and compassion. John Wesley talked about this in many different ways. And one of the ways that Wesley talked about this that was kind of confusing to a lot of people, and I think is still confusing us today, is that he talked about living or, or moving toward perfection. What a word. That, that, that is such a loaded word, isn't it? Something that is perfected. Something that is perfection. That means absolutely no flaw, no, no blemish, no, nothing wrong with it at all. But as we look at our lives, as we move on to perfection, we're not saying that we are going to actually have absolutely nothing wrong with us in this life. But what we are saying is that we are striving to make sure every decision that we make is for the love of God and for the love of our neighbor. I remember when I was ordained about eight, nine years ago, fully ordained, I had to go in front of the entire clergy session of annual conference and we would go up to the front of the room and the bishop would be uh, sitting in his uh, table where he would run a clergy session and he would ask us 19 questions. And, and these 19 questions are the historical questions that are asked of, of clergy within uh, United Methodism. They've all been asked all the way since uh, John Wesley. And, and this one question I always remember, and, and still even today, there, there's a little bit of a chuckling that happens when this question is asked. And the question is, do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? And even at that time, whenever I first answered the question or even listening as I would go as a commissioned person to the clergy sessions, I would go, I don't know why people are laughing at this. I think it's a very valid question. If we are continuing to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, shouldn't we then want to be made perfect in love in this life? Shouldn't we want to make sure that our relationships respond and share this love that God has given us with others? Wesley would say that moving on to perfection is being empowered to love God with our whole hearts and our neighbors as ourselves. Carolyn Moore, she, she wrote a book about these 19 questions that, that we answer on ordination, and she kind of expounded on this, and she says to be made perfect involved, to be, be made perfect in love is to be committed to becoming bolder, more loving, more vulnerable, more courageous in our approach to our relationships. Being made perfect in love is saying, you know, I am going to make sure the relationships that I have reflect the love that Jesus has for me. The, the relationships that I have, being made perfect in love, means that I am going to look at my neighbor and I am going to love them just as Christ loves me, but more importantly, just how Christ loves my neighbor. But here's the catch. There, there is always an inevitability of error when it comes to sanctification. There, there's an inevitability that, that things are going to go wrong and, and, and you're going to mess up. We all mess up. 
We are all sinners in need of God's grace, and I'm so grateful that God pours that grace out upon me day after day. I think that's why one of my favorite prayers during this season happens to be a prayer that was written by Thomas Merton. If you uh, follow along on my Facebook page, you know every Wednesday I do a noon prayer here in the sanctuary. It's not a, a guided prayer or anything. It's just an opportunity just to come and pray. And there's some people that will come and pray here or there. But I always like to try to leave a thought or a specific prayer on that post just to help you maybe reflect on what it means to pause and, and to be in prayer during this time. And a couple of weeks ago, I used the Thomas Merton prayer, and one of the lines that just keeps coming over and over to me, and it's this particular line that we have on the screen. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But... I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. That's sanctification at work. That, that is understanding and knowing that, that I, if I think I'm following you, it doesn't mean I'm actually doing it. I may not actually be doing it, but because I have a heart and desire to, to please God, I have a heart and a desire to please Jesus, that does please Jesus because he knows that I desire to be made perfect. I, I desire my life to be transformed into something different now than it was before. Sanctification, there are a couple ways that some people talk about sanctification. One is that, that there is an instant sanctification. That, that you are sanctified immediately and you are made perfect in love immediately. Now, there are, there are, there are studies and there are uh, books written about people who have had that. But if you're like me, I think most of us have that gradual growth in sanctification. And what I mean by that is that we continue to take time after time after time to grow in sanctification and our love of God and love of our neighbors. As most of you know, one of my favorite artists, Christian artists, is a guy by the name of Rich Mullins who passed away in 1997. And in one of his last concerts, uh, he was talking about a time where he was going to go on a Christian talk show. A and this, this uh, woman doing the pre-interview asked Rich a couple of questions. The first one was, how old were you when you became a Christian? And Rich sat there and thought for a moment. He said, I don't know, probably two or three. And then she asked, really? Why so young? What happened? And then Rich said, well, I was in Sunday school, and we prayed. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus Come in today, come in to stay, come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. The lady looked at Rich and said, that's not what I meant. You couldn't possibly understand what it was you were praying. And Rich said, lady, we never understand what we are praying. 
And God in his mercy doesn't answer our prayer according to our understanding, but according to his wisdom. She then continued and said, what I mean was, when did you first knowingly accept Christ? And Rich said, well, it must have happened when I was in the third grade. She said, so young, what happened? And Rich said, well, I said a really bad word, a word that I wasn't allowed to say in front of my mom, so I knew I sinned and separated myself from God, so I got baptized. She said, I don't care when you were baptized. I want to know when you became a Christian. Rich answered, lady, when I was baptized, my sins were taken away, and I was given the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a lot like becoming a Christian to me. She then asked him, what I really want to know is when were you born again? Rich answered, lady, which time? You know, it used to be every year when I would go to camp and you get born again, again. You cry and you make yourself become a fool. When you get to college, you'll need to rededicate your life every six months. And then when you graduate from college, it will become a quarterly thing. And when you're in your 40s and your 50s, you'll do it about four times a day. You may never know exactly what you're doing, but God will. I don't know how many times in my own life that has been true, where I remember being born again, again at camp or whatever. I have a, specific, a, a, a significant moment in my walk in Christ. And then as I grow, grew, I realized, you know, I need to rededicate my life more and more and more. I probably rededicated my life to God a couple of times already this Sunday morning. But the whole thing is just to remember that our sanctification is a lifelong process. That we continue to grow as we continue to, to live in that grace. So I want to go back to the house real quick. Could you imagine if, if you were to buy a, a brand new house and you're looking at it and you walk up to it and you're standing on the porch and then you open up the door and you just stay there. You see all of the great stuff that you plan to have in your house. You, you know what you want to put this and that, but you just stay at the doorway, failing to, to move in and to live in the house. That is what justification is without sanctification. Justification is like just standing right there at the door, seeing all that God has for us, all that God wants us to do and be a part of and say, yeah, I'll just stay right here. This is comfortable. I, I, I don't need to move forward in my faith. I don't need to move forward in my life. I just know that just because I am redeemed and saved, that's all I need to do. But my friends, being sanctified means that we are set apart to have a life different than it was before, and we live into that grace we live in that grace so that we may have life and have that life abundantly. See, sanctification is what happens when we are connected to Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 21 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For our sake, he made himself to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, if we say that we are in Christ, if we say that, that our lives are different because of what Christ has done for us, we are now made righteous in God so that we are a part of this new creation that God has already started and God will continue to do and God will extend long after we are here on this earth. But here's another important aspect of sanctification. Sanctification is a community process. You cannot be sanctified by yourself. You, you, can, you can be justified by yourself. By yourself, you say, Lord, I, I want to be made right. But the act of sanctification is what happens when we are in community with one another. You see it all over the New Testament. You see it with the 12 disciples that were, were banded together with Jesus. They were able to go out and do the work that Jesus called them to do. But you really see it all over the book of Acts, especially as we move closer to the celebration of Pentecost. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, that reminds us that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I think one of the biggest traps that we get to when we come to that particular passage that we focus on the numbers that are being added day after day, it's not about the numbers. It's not about how many people are, are showing up on a Sunday morning. It's about how many lives are being changed by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It is about how many people are, are sharing the gifts that God has given each and every one of us. It is about being Christ's hands and feet to a broken world so that they may receive the salvation of their Savior. You know, my draw to sanctification came about the time I shared a few weeks ago about my first experience within a United Methodist Church. Whenever I uh, came and showed up to a high school uh, cafeteria and sat down at a table and heard one of the most amazing sermons about God's grace in my life. Because then I fully understood that sanctification and living in God's grace is really a call to action. It's a call to action because it is a call to fully surrender my life to the creator who made me. It is a call to live through the love and grace of Jesus Christ through his death, his resurrection, as his ascension, to live empowered by the Holy Spirit that God has sent down in order to bring God's kingdom here on earth. 
Jesus gives us an example of what it means to fully live a sanctified life. He, he does this whenever he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus shares the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second one that is like it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. But that's not the only place that Jesus stops. He continues later in John chapter 15 to 2, and he says that you will know those who follow my command to love their neighbors just as I love them. Sometimes we like to stop earlier and to say this, we need to love others as we want to be loved. But if I think about my life and how I have shown love to other people, I haven't done that good of a job of it. But if my heart and my mind is focused on loving others as Jesus loves them, that is when we are able to change the world. That is when we are able to fully live a sanctified life, a life that is set apart, a life that is holy in God's sight. Let us pray. Oh God, you fill us with your love. You fill us with your grace. Right now, God, as we conclude this series, I just want to lift up a prayer that there may be someone here in this room who feels your pervenient grace, who, who feels you calling them to come forward, to, to experience your love and grace. There may be some here who are dealing with this convicting grace. And God, I pray that that convicting grace doesn't play... Grace doesn't place shame on them, but it lets them see your love for them. The call to turn, to be changed, to be made new. Or there may be some who are making that step of justification to say, God, I know that I have lived a life that has not honored you. I have lived a life that has been separated from you. I give my life to you now. I, I surrender all that I am to you. And Lord, I pray for us who continue to move on to perfection that we may show perfect love to you and perfect love to our neighbor. Guide us and lead us so that the ways that we walk or the way that we share helps us to move in a way that changes us, changes us in your likeness. And so, God, we lift this prayer up to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.